0: Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves.
1: And I'm Don Bishop. We're your hosts for Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Mike McClelland, and he'll be answering your most important questions on fly fishing for trophy trout in New Zealand. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Mike a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show where it says click here to ask Mike your most important question. We'll receive your questions promptly and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight.
0: This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about one hour after the show ends. If you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. Content of this broadcast is copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group Inc. doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form.
1: When we return, we'll be going down under to talk with Mike McClellan about fly fishing for Trophy Trout in New Zealand.
0: The R.L. Winston Rod Company is the maker of the revolutionary Boron 2X, the first and only fly rods that are both delicate yet powerful and weigh up to one-third less than any others. Second-generation boron graphite composite allows us to build lighter, more responsive rods while maintaining outstanding fish-fighting power. Go to your local fly shop and ask to cast the Boron 2X, offered in 3 six weight, and then enter our Cast a Winston sampler contest. You could win as many as six Winston rods. Visit www.winstonrods.com for contest details and to locate the nearest Winston dealer. Cast a Winston at the best place possible, your local specialty fly shop. Well, before we introduce Mike, we'd like to let you know about a great gift we have to give away tonight. On our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine, a premier fly fishing magazine. So if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and look for the link under Mike's section that says Click Here to Register for Our Drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form. We'll announce the winner at the end of the show.
1: Mike McClellan was first exposed to fly fishing in the 1960s when he attended the University of Colorado. Subsequently, he traveled to places like Montana, Alaska, Ireland, and New Zealand, as well as Bhutan, to pursue his interest in the sport. And in 1981, he started his travel agency, which has won travel and tourism awards from New Zealand and the U.S., In 1989, he made the decision to focus his business solely on New Zealand. Now his company, The Best of New Zealand Fly Fishing, arranges not only fly fishing trips, but a variety of other activities in that beautiful island nation. Mike McClellan is not only an avid fly fisher and astute businessman. His collection of old New Zealand fishing books and memorabilia has been displayed at several venues over the years, and he has sponsored shows at the Catskills Fly Fishing Center and Museum in Livingston Manor, New York. Mike, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing. Thanks for taking time to join us tonight.
2: Well, Don and Roger, it's a great pleasure uh, to be here and have the opportunity to talk about my favorite subject, New Zealand.
0: Well, uh, that's a great subject, isn't it? Before we get into the questions, I just want to kind of give a heads up to our audience here. You guys did a great job on the questions this week. Uh, They were just incredible. We've got over 100 different questions here, but I want to kind of give you a rundown on what we're going to talk about uh, tonight so so you know what's in store for you. We're going to talk about history. We're going to talk about the fish in New Zealand, the locations where you can find them, time of year to get down there to fish, what the best time is, weather and uh, for the fish, We're going to talk about the insects and the flies that represent them, Uh, see what's different down there. We're going to talk about equipment, uh, presentation strategies, uh, conservation, invasive species and disease down there, uh, and uh, trip preparation and how to do a trip, whether you do it on your own or whether you go guided uh, on an organized trip. So lots and lots of things to talk about here tonight and uh we better get started mike and i i better quit rambling, <laughs> huh? I'm already <laughs> all right well, one of the, I think the place to start because when i my first conversation with you, we started here, and i I was enlightened quite quickly by uh, what you had to say, and we had several questions here, and they they deal around uh and, and I'm going to kind of merge them together, and then you can kind of go over these but uh you know first of all, is there public water to fish down there, or is it like England? Do they have beets and gillies and uh, are there clubs? Do you have to pay to fish? And I think you can kind of, kind of answer that without with answering me before with the, the history and how fly fishing really got started down there.
2: Well, very briefly, the early settlers were predominantly from England, and the one thing they did not want to copy was the stream rights or purchasing beats, uh, uh, private water that you have prevalent in the, in the United Kingdom. Uh, so they have in New Zealand what's called the Queen's Chain, and it really is a uh, basically that all water is public, uh, except you cannot trespass without permission through private property to get to the water. But there are areas uh, uh, really against the law to to charge for fishing. Uh, some of this access may be charged in other ways, but. Not for pure fishing uh, or hunting for that matter so
0: so there's there's no fishing clubs as you would have in England, that kind of thing.
2: none of that. I mean uh, no, they're fishing clubs, much like the federation clubs here they're just for fellowship, not that you have to belong to fish any of the waters
1: well mike we've we've got a, a number of questions uh, from folks like Jesse up in uh, Chesterfield, Michigan, and uh, Ben uh, in Los Angeles, people are curious about the kinds of fish that New Zealand has.
2: Well, first of all, New Zealand really didn't have any indigenous animals or fish to start with. It's a unique country, and really, it was uh, all birds, and that's why, because there were no predators, the birds in New Zealand historically didn't fly. The kiwi and the moa, which is now extinct. Uh, the early English settlers introduced trout to New Zealand. Uh, 18, in 1860, the first brown trout were introduced uh, from uh, Europe to Tasmania, and then roughly six or seven years later, those brown trout were introduced from Tasmania into the South Island of New Zealand. At that time, the North Island, uh, there was warring going on with the uh, Maori tribes and the South Island was more settled and peaceful and so the first brown trout were introduced um, as I say in about 1867 1868. the rainbow trout actually came from the Russian River and were introduced into New Zealand in 1883. Uh, these fish of course are now uh, wild fish and natural in the stream and they have spread. Uh, throughout both islands. The North Island is predominantly rainbows. The South Island is predominantly brown trout, but you will find both species on both both islands. Uh, uh, various species of salmon were introduced into New Zealand. Uh, there are salmon runs there, but they're not as reliable uh, as the trout, and we typically don't send people to New Zealand specifically to fish for salmon but they might take advantage of the opportunity if the time is right when they're there.
1: Now, was there any hatchery introduction of uh, fish on a, on a planned basis? We've uh, had a question just come in that says they've heard that, that currently the brown trout is the purest of the species of, of trouts in, uh, in New Zealand. Well, I guess that's true I mean, in the early days, there were hatcheries
2: to spread the fish. Uh, there were there was a hatchery in more uh, recent times on the North Island for the rainbows. I don't believe that's been uh, in use anymore. That was really in the uh, Lake Taupo area. Uh, but the much like the animals that were introduced, uh, whether it's the red stag or tar or chamois or number of the others that were brought in for hunting, they, of course, have all gone wild many years ago.
0: Well, Mike, uh, we had two questions here, one from Randy Olson in, in Montana, the other from uh, Charles Dixon in, in New Mexico, and, and and maybe you answered this earlier, but I, I'm not sure that I heard it, but they, they're both asking, are there any native fish at all to, uh, freshwater fish at all to New Zealand?
2: Not really. Not that not, not you would fish for.
0: I mean, carp, nothing like that?
2: They, no, no. Not, uh, nothing of any, I mean, there might be some smaller stuff, but nothing nothing you would ever fish for or that I've paid any attention to. You do have freshwater eels, which can get uh, quite sizable uh, and um, can get you out of the water fast sometimes if they appear.
0: <laughs> and does that extend to, uh, when you say nothing to speak of, uh, do they have warm water fisheries there as well?
2: Uh No. You mean like no. bass and those? No, right. They do not.
0: They do not. Okay, okay. The uh, and then what about you mentioned the salmon runs coming in? What about uh, other saltwater?
2: There's lots of saltwater fish in uh, around New Zealand. Uh, they uh, they will do a lot of surf casting or surf fishing. Uh, there is certainly big game, the uh, billfish, the Striped marlin are migratory fish, and they, and they are fished for there. They tend to be some of the largest of the striped marlins uh, in the world, and, and world records are caught there. They get a few blues and a few blacks. There are a number of of smaller uh, fish that can be fished with uh, with fly rods, um, and most of the saltwater fishing is where they're throwing burley or, or uh, chum out into the water and, and getting the fish active. Uh, the reedy really are no flats fishing as you would find, no bone
1: fishing uh, as you would find in some of the islands on the way down. Mike, the uh, one of the questions that that comes up uh, fairly commonly, uh, and Kurt in Tokyo is is uh, inquiring. He's going to be going to the South Island in in March, and. Uh, he's wondering about. He, he'd prefer to catch plenty of fish rather than go for the occasional trophy. He, wonder if, he wonders if that's possible in, in the South Island, and, and others have asked about both islands in that regard.
2: Well, the, New Zealand is a unique
1: fishery, and that there's really only a handful of rivers that
2: have more than a thousand fish per mile. Uh, they have big fish. Uh, but they don't have many of them, and that really is why the style in New Zealand is not just the tradition, but the most productive way of fishing is sighting and casting to individual fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly with big browns, there are not going to be any small fish near them or, or there will be dinner. So um, <laughs> there, there are not locations where you can go catch a, um, a ton of small 10 to 15 inch fish as you can in some of the U.S. streams. Uh, At least I don't know of any. There are some rivers that have more prolific hatches and you'll have more uh, rising fish, but still it's not a destination of great numbers of fish. It's more the quality and the opportunity to catch fish that typically will average around four pounds.
1: Wow. So in reality, these fish are largely insectivores or else they're practicing cannibalism on their smaller piers.
2: Well, I'm sure they do. Uh, there's no question that the, the, the brown trout particularly eat the smaller ones. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you've got some eels in the water that uh, uh, certainly feed on the fish. It's it's a unique uniqueness in New Zealand, and I've never heard a specific answer that really... Um, states why there are so few fish and they're all big but that that's the nature of the situation
0: (laughs) such a deal yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that that was a question benjamin in los angeles california had he said um, you know new zealand fish tend to grow bigger than in the states uh and he says in particular and i I don't know if you're familiar with this he says the the mcleod red band rainbows that were transplanted down there uh they're just so much healthier than they are in the states and Could that have something to do with just the number of fish per mile? They have less competition. Is that one of the reasons they grow bigger down there?
2: I I, I honestly don't know. I mean, you've got a country that is about the size of California. If you you could squeeze it in within the boundaries of California, and it's got a population of roughly 4 million people, of which three-fourths are on the North Island, versus California of a population of something over 30 million. So there's certainly less pressure in new zealand uh they've got a lot of water i'm 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 guessing but there's a lot more miles of streams in new zealand than than in california so it may be the lack of pressure the cleaner water uh, food sources you don't have real prolific hatches in new zealand but for whatever the reason the fish just aren't larger
1: Mike, you you mentioned the rivers in New Zealand, and of course we know that there's the North Island and the South Island. Could you describe to us a, a bit about the layout of the fishing opportunities in the different islands and perhaps mention some of the rivers?
2: Well, as I mentioned earlier, the North Island tends to be predominantly rainbows and the South Island tends to be predominantly browns. The South Island is larger in terms of Area it has more water, the streams and as I say, it tend to be uh, brown, predominantly brown trout. You've got small, for the most part, small rivers. Most of the rivers that you would fish, you can easily throw a rock to the opposite bank. It's crystal clear water or gin clear, or a number of ad- adjectives, but you can see water which looks like maybe a foot deep and it's six feet deep. Um, there are some larger rivers on the North Island. But again, most of the water that you would fish is, uh, are small streams. And um, there are lakes everywhere in New Zealand that hold trout that can be a good fun fishing to casting or to cruising fish. But I can say, and this is our 17th year of sending people to New Zealand, and the number of people in North America that have wanted to fish lakes, I can count on one hand.
1: OK. We've had several folks inquire, if if they only had an opportunity to fish one spot, where would you encourage them to consider? And I, I guess we might uh, say, uh, is there one spot that you'd favor in on the North Island, one on the South Island?
2: Well, again, there's more places on the South Island and, then, and three-fourths of the populations on the North Island, so you have more space and less people, and predominantly brown trout. And that personally uh, is my, my favorite fishing experience in New Zealand. I would personally pick the north end of the South Island, whether it's over in the Nelson Lakes, Nelson Lakes area or Hamner Springs, some of those areas that are more mountainous and not as populated and maybe access is a little bit more difficult than other parts of the country. But I would say, in terms of fishing instead of the area, my first uh, guideline would be fishing with a guide. I think the quality of the guide is more important than the area. So, but uh, and then on the in terms of area on the North Island, uh, I'm of course very partial to Poronui Ranch for the 16 acres of water in that area and the adjoining. area, I think, is terrific rainbow fishing, uh, and, and and because the access is not quite as available as some of the others, or it's more difficult, I think the fishing might be a little better.
0: Mike, we have a question from Carolyn in Indiana, and she asks, um, uh, she's heard about Otago, is that it, or Otago Peninsula?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: right. And she, she asks about bird watching. Uh, so... We know a lot of people go down there as couples or families to uh, enjoy both fly fishing and other activities. Is is that in close proximity to some fly fishing?
2: Well, it's some great fishing. I mean, the, first of all, there's unique birds throughout New Zealand, and there there's a lot of different species. The Tango Peninsula in particular has the penguins that you can um, view, uh, which is, can be great fun. It also has the Royal Albatross that um, that nest. That's the only inhabited land that the royal albatross nest on. So that can be combined with some great fishing. That's an area down there that probably doesn't get as quite as much pressure. It's a little more out of the way, uh, but there there is some terrific fishing in that area.
1: Great. Sounds like a great opportunity. What it's also they- a,
2: one of it's one of the uh, top producing areas of the Pinot Wild wine. So it's a great combination.
1: Well, that sounds good to me. Well, let's take a very brief break here. When we return, we'll be talking more with Mike McClellan about fly fishing in New Zealand.
0: The Platte River Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming, features a first-class website covering all aspects of fly fishing the tailwaters of the North Platte River, including up-to-date local fishing reports, fly patterns, guide services, and online shopping for top-of-the-line gear for any travel destination. The Platte River Fly Shop provides a professional guide staff for the Blue Ribbon, Trophy, Gray Reef, and Miracle Mile sections of the North Platte River. Visit their extensive website at ww.wyotrout.com. That's wyotrout.com, troutcom Or call the Platte River Fly Shop at 307-237-5997. That's 307-237-5997.
1: You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Mike McClelland about fly fishing in New Zealand. If you'd like to ask Mike a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show where it says, Click here to ask Mike your most important question. We'll receive your questions promptly, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Mike, uh, I wonder, could you tell our our listeners a little bit about your business, The Best of New Zealand Fly Fishing, and how to to reach you on that?
2: First of all, we have a website that's www.bestofnzflyfishing.com that has a great deal of information, not only on New Zealand, but our company, what we do, and a little bit of the history, and, of course, a few of the awards that we've won. Uh, we deal with organizing itineraries for people that want to go to New Zealand uh, that have an interest in fishing or maybe not but we will put a program together that meets the interest in length of time uh, type of accommodations, number of days fishing, type of fishing all of those um, elements that go into a trip into a uh, into an itinerary and give a detailed costing. Uh, uh, I have a, a whole office here, six of us uh, go to New Zealand each year. I go several times and have now actually made 43 trips myself uh, to not only view the lodges, accommodations, meet with guides, but experience the activities and have first hand knowledge of the country. And uh, uh, the lodges in New Zealand tell us that they see us down there more than even the operators in Auckland and Christchurch so it's really that knowledge uh, the friendships the uh, connections we have that uh, we think make the what we do special
0: great great and so again the the, the website address was can you give it again, best Mike? of
2: best of flyfishing dot com
0: and what about a phone number eight
2: hundred five two eight six one two nine and I guess I'll throw in there that we have uh, printed a condensed version of uh, the Tony Orman book, The Real Story on Trout Fishing, New Zealand, 60 pages. Uh, there is a form on our website. We'd be happy to send a free copy to anybody. Uh, it's very comprehensive on the New Zealand and the st- style of fishing. Uh, we'll send a copy for the cost of shipping and handling, $3.95.
0: Except for all you good listeners that submitted a question tonight, you're getting that for no shame. Free, Absolutely. Yeah. totally free, right. 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 So good for Terrific. you for putting in those questions tonight. Uh, by the way, we've got questions from Tokyo to New Zealand, Australia, the United States, Canada, uh, just really all over the world. Yep. Well, very exciting. Um, time of year, Mike, um, of course it's in reverse down there, isn't it? Um,
2: uh, it yes, you- it is, Absolutely.
0: If we have to think in reverse when we say summer. That's that's December, I guess. Um, what uh, what what is the best time? Uh, Ross Dibble in Sacramento, California asks, "What's the best time to go down there uh,
2: to fish?" Well, that's probably the most difficult question I'm asked because it, of course, depends on the weather. But the the a number of guides keep very accurate records on the numbers and size of fish caught by their clients. And they all come out with basically the same results. More fish are caught early in the season and late in the season. And early in the season is probably November uh, into early December, and late season is basically late March into April. Um, Part of the season down there opens earlier, the first of October, and part of the season runs to the end of May. But most of it is really November through April. The reason for this is, particularly in the early season, the fish of uh, the rivers have been closed. There hasn't been any pressure. Um, They seem more receptive to flies Um, at that time. The downside or risk, of course, is springtime. The weather is is less um, uh, predictable. Um, So there certainly can be rain that can make fishing more difficult, but. Uh, all in all, I think that personally is my favorite time, uh, but also late season, uh, you've got the fall colors, it's a beautiful time, the weather tends to be stable, the tourists have gone home, the really probably only disadvantage is the country has gone off at daylight savings time and it's getting dark earlier in the evening. Um Peak season, January, February, everybody wants to go to New Zealand at that time, not just the Anglers, but tourists. Things get very busy. The airfares are higher. Um, some of the rental cars companies charge more at that time, and there's just more pressure. Um, uh, but the days are very long. It can stay, like, well into the evening, 8, 9 o'clock, depending on where you are. Uh, and there tend to be more uh, terrestrials or dry flies at that time of the year, so uh, it kind of depends on people's schedule and, and certainly other activities that they want to combine with the fishing.
0: Well, you said that um, Ryan in Signal Mountain, Tennessee, asked a question about matching dry fly fishing. And since he just said that, I thought I'd follow up with you on that. So you said mid-season is best for dry fly activity in in New Zealand
2: well there's strong flies all time but still probably the majority of the fish are caught on nymphs um, but you through the summer summer months when it's hot you have the terrestrials out at that time uh, particularly the cicadas which can be great fun to fish and very productive so but also as it gives you as you move into the Uh, February, which is like August is here, the water tends to be lower and it can warm up and the fish can retreat into uh, cooler water or or become more sluggish and not not eat as profusely as they might in the early season.
1: Mike, uh, Page in uh, River Falls, Wisconsin is is curious, is is there a specific closed season uh, in New Zealand and what those dates might be in terms of planning trips around it?
2: Uh, yes, most, not all. Some of the big rivers stay open year-round. Most of the lakes will stay open, but many of the smaller rivers or most of the smaller rivers will close uh, either at the end of April or the end of May, depending on where they are. Uh, they will then reopen either the first Saturday in October or the first of November, uh, fewer a little bit later than that. Um, but I should mention during the winter there is what probably most people think of as the, or at least the locals, the the spawning rainbow trout in Lake Taupo, and that's when the something in the order of 85 to 95 thousand fish leave Lake Taupo to spawn in the various streams that feed into the lake, including the Tongara River, which is one of New Zealand's most famous rivers and the one that St. Gray fished. Um this, really, the peak of the runs are the winter in New Zealand, uh, June, July, August, and you're getting big fish and, and uh, as I say, a lot more of them. So most Kiwis would think that's the time to go fishing at Lake Taupo.
1: Okay. Could you describe to us the weather in the summer and the winter down in the various parts of New Zealand a bit?
2: Well, I think the weather is a little bit like Colorado. If you don't like it, wait 15 minutes and it will change. I mean, it's a, it's a very diverse country, and you on the South Island you have the southern Alps of 18 peaks over 12,000 feet, uh, which are very impressive because you're at sea level, unlike in Colorado where you're starting at a mile high. Um, but, of course, that weather patterns, uh, the, the weather can come in off the Tasman Sea. It drops maybe 360 inches a year of rain in the Fjordland National Park. And you get on the other side, there's areas that get only 11 inches of rain a year. So you get a very diverse patterns. Um, you can get storms through um, through New Zealand uh, at any time of the year. and We have found that there just is no no pattern each year. It tends to be a little bit different as to when they get rain. and um, But typically, uh, it's, the, the weather is quite pleasant. It, it's very unusual to get very hot in New Zealand through the, through the summer months. It's typically probably t-shirt weather during the day. and maybe a little bit cooler in the evenings, but um, there are just no givens on the weather in New Zealand. Is, okay.
0: is there much difference between The north and the south island, uh, as far as summertime goes, is it
2: pretty much where the Not really. I mean, I think people tend to think, because it's such a long country, uh, that the weather would be much different. But I think I've I've learned that it can be either direction. The north island can be having terrible weather, and the south island can be having gorgeous weather, or the reverse, or, or, or some storms can come through and just move from one end of the island to the other. So there's no way to say, I'm going to this island at this time to get better weather.
0: Well, we've got, uh, let's let's move into, Mike, um, flies and the insects down there and talk about um, uh, what's down there. Uh, Bob Jaspers, Captain Bob Jaspers in Cocoa, Florida, and both Lyle Graff and a number of others, uh, Lyle Graff's up in Montana. Um, a lot of others have asked, uh, you know, what are what are the patterns, and you know what are we simulating down there, and how much is that different than, you know, uh, say in the United States or other trout waters?
1: Well,
2: I think the insects are the same—mayflies and caddis and stoneflies. The um, you just don't have the prolific hatches that you do on some of the streams up here. They they, they have other types of things, uh, some willow grubs, maybe uh, uh, beetles. Um, Certainly the cicadas I mentioned earlier, uh, this year, it looks like it's even a year of the, uh, the mouse. That they, uh, uh, Every number of years, the beech trees will flower and uh, throw off more seed. And as a result, the uh, mice population explodes and the fish feed on the mice. And we get some really big, chunky, football-sized fish uh, that are stuffed <laughs> with mice. So um, it, it, in terms of flies... Quite honestly, I, I depend on the guide. The guides there will supply gu- the flies. They know what's working in that area. Uh, we, say, we say take the typical uh, standard flies and the royal wolves and huffies and uh, adams and uh, in the drys and, and uh, certainly in the heads, the hare's ears and some pheasant, ta- uh, pheasant tails uh but the guides will have whatever is working at that time, and that's probably a uh, certainly a way to do it.
0: Now, do you get uh, you have stonefly hatches down there as well?
2: Yes. Yes.
0: Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a willow grub. That sounds like uh, something different than uh, than what we're used to. So that is that particular to, to New Zealand?
2: Uh, well, it's the only place I've encountered it, and and okay. they're down in the willow trees okay. there, and it can be great fun to fish.
0: Are just grubs. They're, they're like caterpillars or something. In the trees? yes, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. In
1: terms of, of uh, fly tying, Mike, uh, at one time I believe there was a restriction on uh, old things like feathers and that sort of thing being brought into New Zealand. Is that still the case, or can a person uh, do some tying of his own uh, down there?
2: Well, it's still restricted. You can bring. It used to be problems with bringing flies in, but there is that has not been the case in a number of years. If you bring tide flies in, um, there's no restrictions. But if you bring in raw necks or fur or any animal products, they will fumigate it, and that will delay getting it to you. So we suggest don't don't take those materials if you want to tie. Flies. Using those in New Zealand, then buy some at a local fly shop, or, or maybe the, the fishing lodge tends to have uh, tying benches with those materials. But if it is fumigated, it uh, it can follow you around the country before catching up.
1: Okay. So there are fly shops available uh, fairly routinely for uh, equipment as well as flies and that kind of thing.
2: Uh, absolutely, I mean New Zealand is a country of predominantly fly fishermen. I think that there's probably more uh, fly fishermen than than spin fishermen in New Zealand. Um, there are fly shops around uh, even when you get in some of the more little remote areas, there may be uh, something available there um, but those things can be can be found if if, if needed.
0: Well, let's talk. Uh, so, so kind of to to summarize that, uh, uh, you can look for the same kind of insects we find here: mayflies, caddis, stoneflies.
1: Similar patterns
0: will work for those as they do in the states or other other countries as well. Um, what about uh, what about streamers? Much use of streamers in, in New Zealand? Um,
2: not much. I mean, the, uh, the the streamers are used more, and the wet flies are used more for the winter run of, uh, of the trout at Lake Tampo, which is really more like a steelhead run. But the I guess it's part of the unique style of fishing in New Zealand, which we haven't really touched on, and that's really casting to individual fish and the delicate presentation and uh, um, casting a small fly is more productive, the streamer is going to tend to probably spook the fish. So mm, we don't sure. find them used that much, uh, uh, generally speaking.
1: Well, some of the rabbit skin patterns, the uh, bunny leeches and this sort of thing, have gotten credit uh, for coming from New Zealand. Is, is that not the case? Well, that would probably be from the
2: uh, spawning mm-hmm. rainbows. Which is okay. you know, that still is to the Kiwis, that's their main main fishing. Sure. And a lot of and you'll find there's a long history there that um and and there are a lot of flies that that have come out of that area, but you typically wouldn't be fishing those for the large
1: uh summer fish. Okay. Um, uh, we know that the world fly fishing championships are going to be held in New Zealand uh uh well, I guess in two year two calendar years, uh basically. Don Chatton down in Florida is wondering if you were gonna recommend a pattern uh for uh the teams, uh what would it be? Well, I wouldn't have an idea to to be
2: quite honest with you. I I just um don't pay much attention to the Wolf Championship and I'm not really sure um whether it's one fly like the one fly or a pattern, um, sure. I'm
1: just. Well, and and you did mention that the majority of trout are caught with subsurface patterns in New Zealand.
2: That's correct, and, and a very very popular way is a, is a dry fly with a nymph on a dropper. Mhm. So the two fly rig is quite common and, and quite productive.
1: Sure, the old hopper dropper. Yep. Now, in terms of insects, uh, uh, I know you have some terrestrials down there. Uh, do they have mosquitoes? Do you, does a guy need to bring a lot of bug dope?
2: Not for mosquitoes. They have sandflies, uh-huh.
1: which of are course. smaller and
2: maybe more irritating. Yeah. Um, but the, you do find sandflies, and in, in particularly in some of the damper areas, the Fiordland National Park is... is a, great example and they can be very irritating and um, certainly having uh, some kind of repellent is highly recommended and even fishing with those kind of sun gloves we find is also a, uh, mm-hmm. a very popular way to go and I should say also that New Zealand the Sun is very very bright in New Zealand and people should have sunblock um, along with their insect repellent great good tip
0: well, Mike, let's uh, talk just a little bit about equipment. Tom Somsell in, in Phoenix, Arizona, asks very specifically, what's the best leader uh, for fly fishing in New Zealand? Uh, are there specific rigs that people use there so as not to spook the fish?
2: Well, uh, there's a number of answers to that, I guess. First of all, um, if I were taking one rod, I would take a six weight. I would f- fish uh, probably only with a floating line. And my leader would probably start at either a 9 or a 10 foot 3X and then the guide would build or add to that depending on the fishing conditions. Um, You might be fishing anywhere from 14 to 16 foot leader or even I've I've fished longer than that in certain situations. The whole um, idea is to not line the fish. uh, The style of fishing that we talked briefly about he is coming upstream behind the fish and then casting up and over the fish um, and so you do not want to line the fish and so I see in Todd's question he asked about the line color. Right. Um, I would say ninety or seventy five percent of the guides in New Zealand feel quite strongly that a bright color for us in pink, orange, yellow or that bright green is more likely to spook the fish. Um, I think the other 25% of the guides say it doesn't matter what color the line is. If you put the line over the fish, uh, you run the risk of spooking it. So, but the, but it, having a dull colored line that matches the, your landscape or background is certainly preferred and recommended, uh, or even some of the, uh, the clear lines. Um, And I think the same goes for clothing. Uh, You don't want to wear bright clothing, even though you're behind the fish um, and hopefully out of sight, uh, they're more likely to see you uh, if you have something bright on than something that blends with the background.
0: Well, that that brings up, uh, going back to a question uh, from Paul in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he says, uh, is the issue of camo... uh, you know, everything uh, while in New Zealand important, you know, how much stock do you put into that? I guess what he means is, you know, camo hat, camo shirt, camo waiters, that kind of uh, stealth approach.
2: Well, I, I don't think you have to go quite that far, although many will wear some camo, but you don't really get to uh, total, uh, like turkey hunting, but uh, I think the the key is to, be able to blend as much with the background. And of course, movement is just, or, or lack of movement, is just as important that the, the fish don't see you um, as they will spoke.
1: Sure. What what in general would you say would be the, the best all-round combination of gear for an individual to take to New Zealand uh, for the freshwater fishing?
2: Well, a six-weight rod, floating line, um, 3X, 9 or 10 foot uh, leaders. As I mentioned earlier, your standard drives and nymphs. And then really beyond that, in terms of, I guess, the other area is waiting wet is uh, very popular in New Zealand. You're out of the water more than you're in the water, and you typically don't get deep into the water. You try and get into the water as Little is necessary to get a clear back cast to cast up and over the fish, but I would say in recent years with the um, breathable Gore-Tex waders, they have become very popular and even many of the guides that used to uh, fish in short pants are now wearing the breathable waders. It's a very comfortable way to go um, and certainly one that we recommend and it does protect your legs from those nasty little sandflies and brush and, and other things.
0: All
1: right. Well, let's uh, let's take a short uh, break here. When we return, we'll be answering more of your questions about chasing those big browns and rainbows in New Zealand.
0: Matt and his crew at Dry Fly Outfitters offer a wide range of fly fishing products, no matter what type of fish you are after. Whether you're looking for items for your great fishing trip, river flows, or, or just some fly fishing information, Dryfly Outfitters has you covered. While at their site, stop by and take a look at the World of Fly Fishing blog where there are many articles and tips on fly fishing there. Check out Dryfly Outfitters now and keep checking back as we add new items and services all the time. You can reach Matt and his crew at www.dryflyoutfitters.com. That's www.dryflyoutfitters.com.
1: And you're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We're talking with Mike McClellan about fly fishing in New Zealand. If you'd like to ask Mike a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show where it says click here to ask Mike your most important question. We'll be receiving those questions promptly, and we're trying to answer as many as possible on the show tonight. Uh, Mike, uh, in terms of the equipment, I think we've got a pretty good rundown. Uh, I, I'm sure fluorocarbon tippets must be uh, pretty standard fare down there. Absolutely. Okay. Well, let's, let's move on uh, a little bit then to presentation strategies. And, and you've sort of defined for us the fact that we're working, uh, we're working a pool for the, for the one big fish and then we'll probably be moving uh, further upstream for the next one and, and that sort of thing. What, uh, what exactly is the way that we go about this? We're, we're casting over their shoulder and, and uh, bring us right into it. Tell us also about the nymphing uh, approaches.
2: Well, the style, as I mentioned, in New Zealand is coming upstream behind the fish. The fish, of course, are facing upstream looking for food, and you come up behind them. You typically, and, and well, I haven't touched on it, we highly recommend using a guide. Uh, the guide can spot the fish, which is quite difficult, um, and then really get into position. Most of the casting is probably in the range of 30 feet. It's it's typically not long casting, but accuracy is really the key to success. And so you can get behind the, behind the fish, get into the water as little as really necessary. Um, you don't want to disturb the water any more than you have to. Um, the sound can, of course, spook the fish, much like throwing a line over its, uh, over its head. Uh, It's then casting above the fish, and uh, hopefully, if you haven't lost your light of sight, watch the fly as it floats down by the fish. Um, Many times, once you get down in the water, you lose that visibility and your guide is reading your eyes and and will tell you uh, what the fish is doing and, uh, if need be, when to set the hook. Likewise, with the water being clear, many times you can fish a nymph much like a dry in that you can see the the nymph in the crystal clear water of New Zealand. Other times you're uh, dependent on your guide or on your indicator um, to see the fish take.
1: Sure, sure. Well, uh, I think that will be a help to Doug up in Seattle who asked that very question and uh, several others along with him. Several folks have inquired about the um, all the techniques that are used down in New Zealand. Uh, here's uh, Gabriel Silva down in uh, in California. Uh, are there techniques used in New Zealand that are unique to that area?
2: Well, I think the sighting of and casting the individual fish is probably more unique in New Zealand. Uh, they will fish the water, but not uh, anywhere near the. Uh, degree you might uh, in in the U.S. streams, and as I mentioned earlier, they don't have the real prolific hatches, so you're typically not fishing to rising fish. Um, When that's on, of course, you would fish it the same way you would fish to rising fish anywhere else, but I think the uniqueness of New Zealand is casting to sighted fish, and they are going to be big fish. Um, and as I, many times you can see the fish react to your fly and hopefully uh not set the hook too early. Uh, <laughs>
1: you, you, you need to wait a little sure. bit in
2: New Zealand before setting the hook.
1: Sure. We have had uh, a question here from uh, j t up in Arlington, Virginia. What level of competence does an individual have to have to justify making a trip? to New Zealand. and Of course, there are a lot of ramifications to that question, but uh, does it take an expert? Uh, You don't have to cast that far. If you have a decent presentation with a guide, it sounds like you could be in business.
2: Well, I think that's absolutely right. I think that that there is no destination where a guide is more valuable than New Zealand, being able to spot those fish, bust knowing where to go and how to get there and all of that part. But that's a very important element of success in New Zealand. And so quite honestly, what we find is many people try to do it on their own, and they tend to be frustrated because sighting fish is not easy um, and, and takes years of experience in many cases. And, and
0: the other hand,
2: we have pure novices, and a good example are many of the uh, the wives it will fish in New Zealand that have very limited or maybe even no experience, and in many times they will outfish their husbands uh, because they tend to listen to the guide's instructions maybe a little bit better. They're not trying to overpower the rod, and it is a short distance in terms of casting that can be mastered uh, certainly much easier than trying to double haul uh, 50 yards across the stream. So... Um, it's really, I think that's really the critical part of New Zealand is that uh, our our clients are getting better results today than they were 15 years ago, and I attribute that primarily to the guides are better trained, more experienced, and of course there's much better equipment today in terms of rods and bead heads and all of the other that go into it, but. The guide is really critical in New Zealand, and I I highly recommend anybody going there uh, at least start out with a guide to learn the um, fishery and uniqueness of it before trying to do it on your
1: own.
0: Well, Mike, we had a couple questions here, and I think you you can answer this for these folks, but RT in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, asked, you know, how tough is it for a beginner flycaster to to, to do well in, in New Zealand. And, uh, and, and another question by Stanley in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, what kind of ca- casting skill level is needed for a successful trip? So uh, can you kind of elaborate on, on the casting skills necessary?
2: Yeah, casting skill really is being able to put that fly line out to 30, 35 feet with accuracy and with a delicate presentation. Are uh, talking a about big- a reach
0: cast more times than not? hooking it around in front of the fish?
2: Well, you're really, it's more going up and over the fish, or maybe not over the fish is probably not quite right, to the side of the fish, but so that the fly will float down within its window of feeding. So having that accuracy to uh, be able to put the fly in, in with reasonable accuracy at 30 to 35 feet, I think, is the most important element of casting ability. And at the same time, not just putting the big splat down, but putting the fly on the surface with a certain amount of delicacy so as not to spook the fish.
1: We have a question from the UK, uh, Keith Austin, who's inquiring about uh, some of the, the wet fly techniques. And he's wondering if you're using, say, a, a tandem fly technique do you put the heavy fly out at the out at the end or do you bring a lighter fly uh off the bend of that heavier fly
2: mm, I think you could do either quite honestly you know, I think mm-hmm. the uh, I, I'm I'm not sure I would pick one over the other to be quite honest I think it would okay. probably depend on the river and conditions of all of that I think the tandem flies in New Zealand tend to be a dry and a Nymphs, yes. uh, more than maybe two nymphs, but
1: yeah. Well, and and the some of the European nymphing techniques, uh, particularly the short line uh, nymphing technique, it uh, sure tends to work best if they have that heavier fly out at the out at the uh, tip, so that they can uh, guide the two flies. Uh, yeah. Uh, and uh, that I actually <laughs> had an opportunity to use that technique down in Colorado uh, a couple months ago. Well, uh, another question that has uh, has come along is basically when when there are different forms of terrestrials out, and specifically Mark uh, uh, Bennett, who's uh, from from down in New Zealand, he talks about blowflies and beetles and cicadas and, and that sort of thing. He he wonders if, uh, despite what you just said about uh, Flopping your your fly down on the water with with big terrestrials like that, uh, is it uh, reasonable to just uh, give those a good a good hurl onto the water and let the browns deal with them?
2: Well, I think that's yeah. I think that's true. I mean, I, sometimes the using the cicadas or some of that, it, it is like uh, uh, catching their attention. I guess the, you 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 can splat them down um, for those, but um, you know, I, I, I'm, it's easy. Also, uh, a delicate, accurate presentation of a small pie is, is equally uh,
0: productive. Okay. Do they do they become any less shy during those times when the the terrestrials are around?
2: Well, I, I, maybe if there's more around, but I think the the fish become become shy when there's more pressure. Mm-hmm. That. Uh, I fished down early season last year, and I don't think the fish had seen any other anglers yet that season, and I was able to uh, fish six or seven different flies by them before uh, I got a take, and I'm not sure that you can do that later in the season when they have seen a lot more presentations of flies. Uh, I also found that if you did spook them, they tended to come back into that same vocation probably in a shorter time period than maybe in the the more peak of the summer, but um, that's just my own impressions okay
0: okay well um, let's um, let's talk about uh, some of the conservation and invasive species disease issues these are all things that people wrote in about and seem quite concerned and I'm, I'm happy to see that people are asking these questions because these are worldwide issues that that that, uh, that we need to deal with. And uh, so let's see what we've got here. Uh, Trevor Smith in uh, Tennessee, he, um, he says he understands that uh, didymo is uh, quite prevalent in, the, in New Zealand, how, and he wants to know how it's affecting fishing down there. And uh, he wants to know because one of his local waters, I guess, in Tennessee is, is fighting that problem. So could you kind of address uh, didymo
2: down there? Well, didymo is still new to New Zealand. I think it was first discovered in 2004. Uh, The last reports I saw is still confined to the South Island. Um, It's terrible looking stuff when it's in full bloom, but in terms of uh, it does not appear to affect the fish, but you certainly probably don't want to fish in it just because it's mucky stuff. Rock snot is what they call it. Um, I've had a number of reports this year over the winter from guides that say the Heavy waters of winter have flushed the streams out. Whether it will return or or to what degree it will return just isn't known at this time. Uh, I've heard where they have found some chemicals they think can battle the Didymo without uh, harming the fish and, uh, and other insects in the stream, but I don't know that they have any history of that yet. What I will say, and and I don't know of any guides that have uh, been hampered by the Tirimo in terms of fishing. There are enough other waters that it has not had an effect at this time. Um, Tirimo was, uh, has apparently been in the US for many years, uh, but nobody seemed to be aware or concerned until we started hearing of the issue in New Zealand. Um, I will say that the New Zealand has always been very, very aware of bringing things into New Zealand that would uh, could harm the streams and certainly harm their their livestock. They have the biosecurity at the international airports that are quite thorough. And when you arrive in New Zealand, one of the forms you will fill out is whether you have any fishing gear or camping gear or anything of that nature with you, and if you do... They will um, send you it a line where an officer will look at it, and if they don't think it's clean, they will dip it in a bucket of disinfectant and put it in a plastic bag and give it back to you. It's it's um, not it takes maybe an extra five minutes, uh, but they are quite uh, concerned about bringing anything into the country. Um, after that, all bags are x-rayed, so they're pretty thorough on on checking this at this time. Uh, the Didymo pr- uh, problem has uh, caused, I think, all of the fishing guides and fishing lodges to uh, make sure that their client's equipment uh, is thoroughly clean before leaving an area and before going into new- any new area. Uh, even if you're going to fish the wilderness streams in Fiordland, you have to go to a check station the night before and have your equipment cleaned and certified before you can go into the wilderness area. So there is great concern and great regulation on and awareness of, to the public to not run the risk of spreading this from one area to another.
0: Mike, we need to take a little break here, and then when we come back we'll talk more about conservation and some of the other uh, uh uh, invasive species issues down there, if, if any exist.
1: Family Ties, that's T-Y-E-S. Family Ties is an organization which uses a shared interest in fly fishing and fly tying to enhance youth development and family relationships. They utilize resources in schools, communities, and businesses, and they invite your participation. Go to their website, www.familyties.com, that's familytyes.com. Family ties, where every fish is a trophy and every kid a hero.
0: You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Mike McClellan about fly fishing for trophy trout down in New Zealand. Um, if you'd like to ask Mike a question, just go to our homepage at and askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show that says, click here to ask Mike your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on our show tonight. Well, um, other things that came up here. Is there whirling disease down in New Zealand?
2: Apparently there is some in the fish, but it's not a problem. It's just not a concern anywhere, and and I can't tell you why, but um, it it is not a problem as you have in Montana or some of the Colorado rivers.
1: Okay. Have you seen any effects of global warming down there that you can identify? Uh,
2: No, not really. Uh, I mean, at the moment there's some giant icebergs that are about uh, uh, 25 miles off the coast of uh, the South Island. Um, It's Unusual for them to float that far and and in fact it's hard to get a helicopter to go fishing at the moment because they're taking all the sightseers out to see the icebergs, but uh, in terms of any anything else, we haven't seen any specific changes of weather uh, at this point. Uh, the sun is clear, as I mentioned earlier, uh, without the uh, um, ozone and rest. So one needs to be very uh, aware that uh, it's easy to get sunburned in New Zealand if you're not protected.
1: Mm-hmm. In terms of the New Zealand mud snail that we've all heard about and certainly has made its appearance uh, in in the U.S., uh, how how do they deal with that?
2: Well, mud snails are not a problem in New Zealand. Um, And I I actually went and checked because we haven't heard of it as a problem down there. And and the bottom line of what what I learned is that there are uh, support uh, supposedly 14 different species of parasites that infect the snails in New Zealand which helps control the numbers whereas in the U.S. there are none so yeah, I guess it's just the difference in the in the two countries but you don't find the or at least I, I'm, I'm totally unaware of any place in New Zealand where the mud snails are not a problem.
0: Well I guess that's due to, like I said, they're native to New Zealand, so there's controls in place naturally for them. Yes. Whereas, whereas when you move a species to a, an area that has no controls, then, then that's when we start experiencing problems. Well, maybe we
2: need to move some of those parasites.
0: <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> we don't even want to go there. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> no, Listen, that's we're going to start.
2: <laughs> well, that's what got New Zealand into trouble. They kept bringing things in that were not uh, uh, natural to the country, and they introduced uh, other other. Animals which uh, didn't do what they thought they would do, and have have created problems. Uh, The possums being one that uh, uh, is a staggering problem there that they're trying to solve. So, Hmm.
0: Hmm. interesting. Are there? um, Kip Russell from Colorado Springs, Colorado, asked: Are there any, in general, are there any battles that you're fighting down there in the way of conservation uh, that, that are particular to New Zealand?
2: Well, there, there's some battles at the moment on uh, building hydroelectric uh, um, schemes or dams on uh, rivers down there, and and those are that's certainly a, an issue that we have supported uh, both financially and and uh, helping with some of the presentations um, the rivers that we do not want to see dammed that uh, we think would be certainly harmful to the fishing. But it's it's and and the other we've already talked about, of course, is the rock snod or detrimal uh, issue.
1: Well, let's uh, let's move on uh, to an area of your particular expertise, uh, Mike, and and that is uh, preparation and, and travel to New Zealand. Uh, Royce in in Washington State uh, wonders what. What particularly is unique about New Zealand besides the fishing that's going to uh, enable him to uh, convince his wife to come along and maybe they'll spend a month or so uh, down there?
2: Well, New Zealand is a gorgeous, beautiful country. It's quite small in size, but yet has a little bit of everything from the southern Alps to the glaciers coming down to sea level to the fjords to the uh, certainly, the uh, geysers and volcanoes and uh, rainforest and uh, you name it, New Zealand has it within that very small area. And it has a great deal, of course, of coastline. You're something like never more than 75 miles from the coast. It's there's a, a drive along the west coast uh, is rated as one of the top 10 drives in the world. So you have tremendous scenic beauty. Most everywhere. You have great walks, you have great differences in, in topography, uh, uh, mountains with forest, uh, certainly beaches, um, and so on. And, and at the same time, you have a population uh, that speaks English, uh, signs are in English, and there is this great Kiwi hospitality. They are some of the most friendly people in the world, and we hear all the time that people go to New Zealand to see the scenic beauty and they come back talking about the Kiwis or the Kiwi hospitality, um, and besides the fishing, there there's great wineries in New Zealand, uh, they're certainly into food, there's wonderful um, food and wine, arts and crafts, there's a, a wide range of activities. Uh, particularly for the non-fishing partner, whether it's hiking in, the, in, a, in a national park, horseback riding, canoeing, sea kayaking, um, nature walks or birding or golf. Uh, there's over 400 golf courses, a couple of really spectacular courses. Uh, there's just a wide range of activities besides the fishing, and so we find that most people we're sending there are fishing, but they want to experience some of the other activities and scenic beauty at, at the same time, and it's, it's all within a you know a reasonably small area that one uh, can drive. The roads are good, there's not much traffic, it's easy to get around. Um, it's not like being stuck out in the, the middle of nowhere in Alaska where the partner reads a book or doesn't have much else to do.
0: Sounds like a, a great place for a couple to go, or even a family, um, mm-hmm. and to do different kinds of things. Uh, you mentioned about fifteen things there that I like to do. So, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Oh, for a family, <laughs> I mean, it's a great
2: destination for a family because there is a, you know, a wide range of things from, you know, experiencing the sheepdogs working, or or shearing a sheep yourself, or certainly all of the, the more active, uh, river rafting and jet boating and 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 Bungee jumping or or tandem hang gliding, tandem parachuting. You can be as adventuresome as you want, or the more sedate, and, and they're very much as I say into food and wine. Great restaurants, uh, the wineries are, are fond of visit. It's a little bit like a throwback as to Napa was maybe 40 years ago. Uh, uh, you can still meet the winemaker down there, still get a personal tour, um, and not. Mm-hmm not uh, be part of a large busload of, of people.
0: Well, speaking of which, let's, um, let's talk about uh, trips going down there. First, let's talk about doing it on your own, uh, do's, don'ts uh, kind of thing there, and then we'll, we'll move into uh, guided trips and organized trips down there. So first question up is from Bill in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, is it practical to, to rent a camper and drive to different rivers and lakes and fish with, with, without a guide?
2: Yes and no. I mean, I think one of the differences, the campers in New Zealand tend to not have all of the amenities that people are used to here. It is getting more difficult. Uh, there are a number of areas you can't just pull off the roadside and camp. Um, you may have to book a campground ahead of time. The style is maybe a little bit different uh, there in, in the camper vans there, instead of setting up your own little area by your camper van, there is a, what we would call a public area where everybody goes and cooks and hangs out, it's just a little bit different atmosphere, um, the camper vans, I personally, I don't love them, I don't think they're necessarily fun to drive in the hilly mountains there, they can be a little gutless, and the roads, for the most part, in New Zealand are two lanes, and um I tend to uh, get stuck behind some camper van that doesn't pull over to let the traffic by, but uh, a lot of people do it. I think there are other ways to do it that uh, maybe don't cost that much more. Camper vans can be uh, reasonably expensive, and of course gasoline is expensive in New Zealand. Uh, and I don't think putting a bunch of people in the back of a camper van, uh, particularly for families, is necessarily the safest way to travel. But as I say, that's all my bias. I much prefer the um, a nice nice bed in the hot shower in, the, in a and b or a lodge or somewhere else in the evenings.
1: Sure. What kind of lodging is available as one travels around the country just uh, for tours or whatever, regardless of whether they're fishing?
2: Well, New Zealand probably has as diverse accommodations as anywhere. The country has very much got into tourism, man. Uh, Within the last five to seven years, there has been an explosion of building properties, especially built uh, B&Bs. B&Bs are quite popular, the old days of a spare bed, the child had left home, those days are gone. And now you have your own room, you're with, of course, your own bathroom, the facilities are probably as nice or in most cases nicer than a hotel, and yet you have that friendly Kiwi hospitality that is probably serving a glass of wine or something in the evenings and certainly a wonderful breakfast in the morning. Uh, you'll find the host also probably has menus from all the restaurants in that area, it knows them well, and can help make reservations or it can help you with any of the sightseeing or other activities. Uh, then you also have lodges, which include meals, um, and that can be from fishing lodges uh, where everybody there is there because of the fishing to just Luxury lodges where somebody might be fishing, but basically it's tourists looking for a small, intimate place and have meals and enjoy meeting the other guests. And then they have a, um, seven or eight of what are called super luxury lodges. Uh, these are equal to any of the top properties anywhere in the world. Um, great facilities, wonderful uh, food, um and expensive, and those those super luxury lodges can run anywhere from oh four hundred and seventy five dollars to maybe eight hundred and fifty dollars per person per night, and that's u s dollars um, whereas the other lodges would end would be all of course much less than that uh we also use a number of cottages there's been some delightful self contained cottages. Built in vineyards on the, on the uh, water or ocean, uh, in hilltops overlooking all in scenic places where you have a full self-contained. You can cook your own meals if you want. Uh, they work especially well for two couples. The two bedrooms, two bathroom units are are good value, and it's a it's a nice change so from staying in lodge. You can. Uh, take it a little bit easier. Cook your own meals you want, or still go out, but uh, delightful surroundings and settings.
1: Well, that's uh, that's great. That'll be a big help to Raymond in Mount Joy, Pennsylvania. Uh, you talked uh, briefly about some of the fly fishing organizations uh, over in New Zealand. Is it possible to hook up with a fly fishing club uh, or members of a club uh, while you're there?
2: Well, there are fly fishing clubs just like here in the states. I mean, and there's the the fly fishing federation has uh, affiliates there, as does Trout Unlimited. Um, You could, uh, uh, I assume, contact a club where somewhere and and find somebody that you could hook up with. We just, we just don't do that. We, We we're more concerned in making sure the guides we use are very experienced, and that's their profession
0: well that that brings up a question here from uh kevin kutzner in uh in Wyoming. He says in selecting a guide or guide services in new in New Zealand, what questions uh need to be asked, and what are the correct answers and why how do you interview
2: well i we do a number of things i mean besides being down there and knowing with knowing them personally uh maybe fishing with them there there's too many for me uh, not enough time to fish with all of them but We certainly talk to other guides. They're a good source uh, of it, and we get reports from our clients. We send every one of our clients a trip report, um, and we send uh, close to 1,000 people a year to New Zealand, so we get a pretty good feedback on the guides, and if we see patterns uh, or problems, we will stop using that guide. But it's, it's just not... I don't know of any particular questions I can ask it's It's based upon experience and, and that's why um, after as I say we're in our seventeenth year we we have a pretty good handle on who we think are the good gods and our client uh, support that in their feedback
0: so another another reason to um, uh, to use a service like yours is because of that experience of, uh... If you open the phone book or open the internet and, and, and go to guide services, you, you really don't know what you're getting. It's so
2: well, I think coming. that's particularly was... true in New Zealand because anybody can call themselves a guide, and, and there are many, many that do call themselves guides that really don't have that experience. And uh, the, the problem, a lot of them are great fun guys. I mean, the, the good old Kiwi bloke is fun to be out on the river all day and have a beer at the local pub afterwards. But maybe you didn't catch as many fish as you should have because he doesn't have the ability to spot fish or doesn't really know where to go. Um, and, and I think all those are part of the critical uh, mass. We, we want guides that are fun to be with. It should be an enjoyable day, but it also should be a productive day. And, and um, you know, at the end of the day, that experience and knowledge is basically what we're selling.
0: Uh, Mike, we just had a a question coming over the Internet from Bill Liscombe in Queenstown, New Zealand. And um, this is great, uh, I think, a great question here. Uh, And I'm going to read the whole thing. Um, I don't know how to fish and have heard it's very difficult to learn before you get to the point where you actually enjoy it. But once you get (laughs) to that point, it's pretty addictive. So are there specialty guides who are oriented, patient enough for real beginners, i.e., to teach them how to cast or do they frankly shy away from those kinds of clients? Uh, how many days in a trip roughly would should be allocated and expected without getting frustrated before you might actually become productive and enjoy it?
2: Well, there are, there, uh, there are guides that are really good instructors. There's a number of them that conduct fly fishing schools in the off season in New Zealand. And so our task is matching up somebody that wants to learn or improve their skills with a guide that is proficient at that and enjoys it. And, and at the same time, there are other guides that really would prefer not to have novices. They'd rather have the more experienced anglers. And, again, that's our process of trying to match the right guide to uh, the client's expectations and talent. And, and uh, it always becomes tricky trying to get the client to give you a good read on, on what their skills are and sometimes they really don't know or, or their impression is maybe not correct. But that's part of it. And, in terms of number of days, boy, I don't know. I think it depends on the individual. Some people pick it up very fast and become efficient quite rapidly. others just take more time, and, and uh, I wouldn't know whether to tell somebody uh, two days or four days would be... Um, the correct amount. I think what I would say is it would be much better to go to a fly fishing school before going to New Zealand and not use your time down there uh, studying from scratch, but go there with with hopefully
1: already having the basic skills. Sure. Well, in that same vein, Ray Nunez down in California has an 11-year-old daughter who enjoys fly fishing very much. And he's wondering if you feel there's a minimum age uh, that would be appropriate for, say, uh, a father-daughter New Zealand trip of a lifetime?
2: Well, I always had a father-daughter fishing trip with both of my daughters from when they turned uh, five years old. And and we actually did New Zealand uh, way back. Uh, both my daughters are in their 30s now. We actually did that way back when they were probably around that age and had a terrific time. I, New Zealand is a great destination for children, whether they're fishing or not. Um there are a lot of things to do down there, uh, uh, expose them to, uh, and certainly the farms and activities along with the fishing. So um, I, I would be all for taking 11-year-old daughter to New Zealand as a father-daughter trip. I think it's Good. a fantastic way
1: to spend with Good your daughter. We're, we're always anxious to get youngsters involved in the sport, that's for sure. Well... Everybody uh, is interested, uh, and Tom in Alabama, and Stephen in uh, Georgia, among others, have asked the question, what kind of expense are we talking about getting to New Zealand and then uh, uh, using the different accommodations and uh, guiding service and that sort of thing?
2: Well, the common denominator are the fishing guides. Uh, we think for a good fishing experience, you start with a good fishing guide. And that's whether you stay in a in a tent, uh, a camper van, or a fishing lodge. It, it and, the, and the cost is going to be roughly the same. The, the, most of the fishing lodges uh, in New Zealand are, are presently running between 400 and 460 dollars a day U.S. Now, there's a few under that, and there's a few over that, but most of them are going to fall within that range. Uh, and uh, it's probably more due to the U.S. dollar continuing to be weak against the New Zealand currency. Um, that, as I say, that cost will be the same regardless of your accommodations. The rest is creature comforts. Uh, and, and we think staying at a fishing lodge where everybody there is uh, has a common interest, a, the it makes the evenings, uh, certainly the meals, the facilities, all of those are first class, and, and New Zealand has some of the best fishing lodges in the world. Um, the accommodations are going to run Oh, some of the smaller fishing lodges that aren't quite as luxurious, maybe $150 U.S. per person per night for accommodations and meals, and you could probably go as high as oh, close to $500 a night at the more elite or luxury lodges the bulk of them will probably fall within the 250 to 350 dollars a night per person uh, based upon two people sharing a room um, but one does not have to stay at a fishing lodge you can stay in a cottage we've got some great cottages on stations that with meals can run 150 dollars a night or you can do your own meals if you want and and, and pay a much lower price um, there's of course uh, I haven't touched on motels and hotels. They are around. Uh, we tend to think staying at some of the smaller properties where you have the Kiwi hospitality are, are a lot more fun than staying in a, uh, in a motel somewhere, but they're certainly available for those that really want a more budget trip. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, Mike, uh, I want to kind of sum up things here in the next couple of minutes, but one last question. Uh, before we do that, could you just recommend any other uh, uh, books on fly fishing in New Zealand or, or New Zealand in general that people might want to get before going over there to do their research?
2: Well, we have a number of books that we offer on our website, um, but I think the books that I recommend are ones that are more on the tactics and uniqueness of New Zealand fishing and, and couple that come to mind are Serious About Trout Fishing by Tony Orman and John Morton or Fishing Smarter for Trout by Tony Bishop or there's a new Stocking and Casting Trout by Les Hill and Graham Marshall. Uh, there are a number of books on where to fish. We do offer the book on the South Island, but I think it's more important to read on the techniques and, and strategy for fishing in New Zealand that it is a book on where to fish. Uh, I guess because those books have been out for many years and, and uh, there are no secrets in there. If it tells you here's a place to go fish, there have been a whole lot of people that read that book and fished there before you got there.
0: Well, great. Great uh, great recommendations. Uh, just to kind of sum up tonight, uh, tonight's show, uh, one of the things that uh, stands out for me, of course, is the presentation. and It sounds like to me, before I go over there, I'm going to definitely practice casting skills uh, that could be useful anywhere, uh, in fact, not only in New Zealand, but most importantly in, in New Zealand. Don, uh, how about you?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I, I, it's, it's interesting to hear that uh, fish had to be introduced to that country, but I guess my thinking about New Zealand is I'm, I'm anxious to go there to see the country and meet the people as, as I am to, to chase their fish.
0: Yeah, that's a that's an incredible opportunity to have all that right within literally miles of, of you know the different activities. And,
2: and I think the my, one thing I didn't yeah. one thing I didn't mention it is particularly attractive particularly to many of the lady anglers. There are no snakes in New Zealand. There are no bears. There's no mountain lions. There are no predators. So you can wander through all that bush and not worry about what you're stepping on.
0: So You don't need a guide with a shotgun behind That's you looking for bears, right? <laughs> yep,
2: no, no, no bells needed in New Zealand.
0: <laughs> well, good. Well, well let's uh, let's wind things up here. Uh, we've 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 run out of time, unfortunately, but uh, we've covered a lot of territory. Uh, and when we return, we're going to be uh, uh, doing a drawing for a, a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine. So stay tuned to see if you win.
1: Keeney's Fly Shop in Sacramento, California features classes on all aspects of fly fishing. They have an extensive inventory and fly tying department and a friendly, experienced staff whose primary goal is your complete satisfaction. Among their many services, one can book private waters or take advantage of their international trips. Visit their extensive website at www.keeney.com, that's K I E N E.com, or call Keeney's Fly Shop at 800. 800- Four hundred zero three five nine. That's one eight hundred four hundred zero three five nine. We see on the global events calendar to- tonight that a very special event is planned for December first and second in Titusville, Florida. On Saturday, December second, from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., Renzetti, Temple Fork Fly Rods, and Custom Genoa Boats are sponsoring a fly fishing and rod building fair at the Renzetti facility in Titusville. The event is free to the public and will feature many icons in fly fishing, such as Lefty Cray, Bob Clouser, Bob Popovich, Flip Pallet, and others, just to name a, a few. Uh, the evening before, on Friday, December 1st, they will be hosting a special event with all the featured speakers, and that event is limited to 75 guests. The proceeds from that event will go to some very worthy local causes, so be sure to mark your calendar for December 1st and 2nd. Go to the events calendar under Florida for details and contact information, and be sure to tell them that you heard about it on Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Remember you can list any fly fishing related events yourself on our events calendar, and don't forget to remind your local clubs and fly shops to list their fly fishing related happenings on the events calendar. We'll be highlighting one event from the calendar on each of our shows.
0: Just a quick reminder to everyone, before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. Uh, You can find the link on our homepage and the section under tonight's show where it says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. Well, now it's time to give away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion, a premier fly fishing magazine. The winners for our drawings are randomly selected from our show's registration database. And if you didn't register for the show tonight, it's too late. But uh, make sure you do so for our next show. We give away some great prizes. If you're the lucky winner tonight, we'll just contact you after the show to to tell you how you're going to get your gift. So let me see. I'll press the magic button here, pick the winner. And the winner is Tony Mortimer in Connecticut. Tony Mortimer. So... Tony, congratulations. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah, yeah, you'll love the magazine. It's a great product. We met with the editor at the last Fly Fishing Retailer Show. I'm very impressed with it. Yeah,
1: you'll sure enjoy that. Well, Mike, uh, gosh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate your taking time to be with us tonight. Uh, uh, Sharing your experiences uh, about fly fishing in New Zealand has uh, sure been an education for me. And I think, uh, I'll bet you, we find that uh, we've got a lot of folks who'd love to uh, have you stop by sometime in the future and give us uh, a reinfusion of that enthusiasm. Well thought it Rogers put a pleasure I'd be delighted to do it again sometime.
0: Well great. Our next broadcast will be on December sixth at seven p.m Mountain time, nine PM Eastern Time and on that show we'll be interviewing AK Best. And our topic for the show will be tying the perfect fly. AK is well known throughout the world for his exquisitely tied flies. If you ever get a chance to see him tie, there's no doubt you'll be impressed. Quill bodies are one of AK's specialties. Listen into our show to find out about the new quill material he's discovered and why he's so excited about it. We'd like to thank R.L. Winston Rod Company, Platte River Fly Shop, Dry Fly Outfitters, Family Ties, and Keeney's Fly Shop for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website, askaboutflyfishing.com, and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.